it works for almost everyone, but there's that one person, jittery mouse hands, the only way I can describe it that, you know, <laughs> they drag and drop things and they don't know where it went. Jittery mouse hands sounds like a Saturday Night Live commercial. <laughs> okay. I've got resting bitch face and jittery mouse hand. <laughs> Do you have resting bitch face and jittery mouse hand? Very this good. drug may be for you. <laughs> Welcome to the SMB Community Podcast with your hosts, Amy Babinchek, James Kernan, Amy Luby, and Carl Polichuk. Produced by and for the Small Biz Thoughts Technology Community. We're dedicated to making every IT professional a successful IT professional. So the New York Times story just says Silicon Valley woke up to a blizzard of text messages, phone calls, and Twitter posts about the bank's mounting woes, uh, and then clients rushed to withdraw their money. Um, so, but you know, I had I had seen a thing in you know in a, a headline only for Fortune that said that Twitter may have played a role in the first ever you know social media. Uh, focused bank run. So, but I think that it was just clickbait. The interesting thing is the average retirement fund for the average American is $70,000, $70,000. So the people who have more than $250,000 in a bank account and haven't bothered to split that into two bank accounts, um, is to me, it's a little like people who don't buy flood insurance when they're in a flood zone. You know, the, the government has told you what to do. Here are the limits. We'll take care of if you do X, we won't do Y. And um, <clears throat> ignore that, uh, then should they be made whole by the government or should they be on their own? Mm-hmm. You know, so, uh, and it's one thing to, to, Say, oh, the limit, the, the, the insurance is 250000 and I've got three hundred, or I've got three fifty. It's another th- one to say, I've got $8 billion. <laughs> Right. You know, but I'm covered for the first 250000 This may be what I was thinking of. So in this article by Robert Reich, he says, Greg Becker sold 3.6 million of Silicon Valley bank stock under a trading plan less than two weeks before the firm disclosed extensive losses that led to its failure. There's nothing illegal about corporate trading plans like the one Becker used, but the timing the timing could have been merely coincidental, but it smells awful. He certainly had the knowledge in his role to know that the bank's bank wasn't doing well and then to sell stock. And the reason he was, as the article says, the reason he was able to do that is because of regulatory rollbacks that, that happened. But that's right. actually the trigger. So when when that happened, word got out and then the sell-off began. Yeah, well, I mean, it, even if you are, the owner, if you're the executive director of a bank, you can be over leveraged in the bank that you run. And you sometimes you have to balance your stuff. And I get all that. Um, but, you know, this bank really is unusual. And people need to not be panicking that their local bank is going to fail because you know, the local banks are actually 
those regulations are enforced. <laughs> These guys worked really hard. They spent some of their billions lobbying the government to not enforce the regulations on them that they enforce on everybody else. They do, and um, and they're a special kind of bank, right? They're an investment bank, but it has led to a few other banks to also fail, um, some of which are due to unfortunate bank runs. Credit Suisse is going through that moment right now, um, you know, where it's known that the, the bank has some issue. They will recover unless there's a bank run. Well, so right. we're recording this on a Thursday, so very soon it will be the weekend. And that's when they, the, you know, the government tends, comes to take take away the bank and sell off the assets and <laughs> make it. Uh, and actually, it's important to point out, like with SVB, that you and I and the citizens of the United States didn't pay any money to solve this bank problem. Uh, the <laughs> government came in and told other banks, you need to buy this and this and this and, and sort of divvy up the parts. So it's kind of a forced sale. Yeah, but which means that the money is actually there because they said this is the, your ability to recover your money is not going to be limited to 250000 Everybody's going to get all of their money. Right. So, and it won't cost the federal government anything to do so. So money was there. It was just, it, it's, I mean, you got to say it was just panic. Yeah. It, yeah. And it, it is the nature of banking. Like, None of these banks have all of their money sitting in a vault where it does absolutely nothing for them or or the investors, right? For even to give you one percent on your interest for for your savings, they got to put that money somewhere. Uh, so anyway, with luck, it will all blow over, and uh, soon April will be here and it's spring and flowers, and no one will care about banks anymore. This is true. It'll be, yeah, you know, this falls into your phrase, actually, of being an economy of one, um, because recessions are often uh, largely based on how people feel, which is weird. It's like if you're optimistic about the, about the economy, then the economy continues to chug along and everything's good. If enough people decide that they're not optimistic about it, then the economy falls into a recession. There is there's a certain amount of influence that individuals have over the greater economy, and it's bigger than we think, right? Until you can until you can change the sentiment out there, the recession doesn't end, or the bank run doesn't end, or whatever it is. But it actually doesn't have anything to do with the underlying fundamentals. Well, and just for the record, I stole that. Stole it. I. Always give credit to Michael Gerber for that uh, in the Entrepreneur uh, Within. Uh, that's where he starts talking about you're an economy of one. So the other thing I will take some credit for is that uh, nobody's paying any attention to you, nothing personal. But most of the time, most of the people are not paying any attention to you. And so what happens is most of the time, most of the people aren't paying any attention to the bank, <laughs> right? But right. on the day that... <clears throat> they do pay attention, the bank needs to have their messaging right and not be responsive. They need to be just doing what they do every day. It's sort of like you're going along doing the right thing. And then one day the flashlight is on you. And if they just see your daily operation is a normal good thing, that's one thing. If they see you panicking and scurrying like a, a roach, 
they might suspect that something is wrong in, the, in your daily operations because the only time they pay any attention to you, it's not good. So we, we see that a lot with Wells Fargo, to be honest. Uh, yeah. <laughs> so the question is, does this, any of this actually matter to the IT professional? Only to the extent that, you know, the people who love uh, uh, cryptocurrency will tell you that, you know, the economy is not real. And the only reason the dollar has any value is because we say it does. And so you can magically just pretend that cryptocurrency has value and now it does. Um, so people will believe what they want to believe. Um, I think most people, if you're in a good bank, that's a solid brand name bank, they're doing exactly what they're supposed to be doing. They've been stress tested multiple times by the government. Uh, and there's no question that your money is just sitting there waiting for you. I agree. People choose to panic. They will hoard their money. If their customers choose to panic, they will hoard their money. So uh, again, the, the the idea that the economy consists of all of us agreeing that there is a, such a thing called an economy and, and that it's heading in the right direction, as long as we all continue to believe that, then life will be good. <laughs> Mark your calendars and plan to be with us May 17th and 18th as we bring you the 2023 SMB Online Conference. Check us out at smbonlineconference.com. You'll find we have more than a dozen speakers and two days filled with presentations, plus a format that really works for online conferences. Save $100 by registering today at smbonlineconference.com. Back to our podcast, I bought a book. And I, I know this comes as no surprise to you because you people book. buy books from you every day. <laughs> but the book I bought is a tech book. I'll show it to you. Microsoft right? Defender for Endpoint in Depth. Yeah, it's like it's like the old days of you know of tech tech books. I'm surprised anybody can actually write one that is you know a couple hundred pages or several hundred pages because tech changes so rapidly. But they did, and I bought it, and I took a little picture of, you know, me holding the book, actually just the book in my arm, and posted to Facebook, like, I bought a book, and it came, and uh, it got so many likes, like, more likes than anything that I've posted recently. It really caught me by surprise. Um, I, I mean, Anyway, it's just notable, because I have not bought a, you know, here's how you do stuff book in such a long time. All the books I've bought are, you know, business books and more general topic stuff. Maybe the era of the tech book is going to return. I hope so. <clears throat> I do have to say, I think the average technician knew more about their own trade uh, 20 years ago than they do today. Yeah, I, I agree. I think there's a dearth of actual technology training and teaching, the teaching part especially. So you can go and get a certification. You go through a certain amount of training to teach you how to pass the cert. The cert. But that's not the same as, um, you know, going to a webinar to learn how to do something. Right. Well, I, what I hear on webinars a lot is pretty general, like, you know, a security webinar. Well, let's just talk about security and all the problems in security and all the generalizations about security, but not let's not actually teach you how to do something about it. Right? The, the advice is go buy a tool. Right. But that the the depth is really 
is really missing in our, our industry today. The pitfalls of set it and forget it, right? Like that it's, it sounds like a good thing and it's great sales fodder, but it might be the worst single thing you can do for your security. Oh yeah. I mean, if if you think about the simplest thing you can do in security is have a backup, right? They don't even most of the time they don't even talk about backup as a security thing these days, but it's like it's like your your final wall of <laughs> of defense, right? You can't hurt me. I have a backup. If all goes all goes really bad, I have a backup. But and these all of these security tools. I mean, backup is the thing that you cannot set and forget, and that is true of every single security thing that's out there because it, it has so many moving parts. And you know, as we always would say, like your computer would be perfectly fine if you never touched it. Right. Or plugged, right, but this, or plugged it in. But the second you do those things, it changes. And when that changes, your security posture changes. And that means somebody has to be has to be watching, watching the wheel. You can't set it and forget it. Um, and it's a lot of work. So you do need some tools to help you with it. But you need also need somebody to watch the tool and somebody to really understand what the tool is doing. Right. It used to drive me crazy in the SBS days that people just used the wizard and had no idea what the wizard actually did. Right. They, you should know that so okay. that you understand the tool that you're using. If you don't understand the tool that you're using, you will never be successful at using the tool because you don't actually know what it does. You just have blind trust that when you click this thing, something good will happen. Well, I've always pushed, even literally from my first book forward, <laughs> You have to to restore from backup every month, and and you, because you have to know how that tool works, you have to know how to do it. You have to know what the lights mean and what the switches mean, right? So that you don't restore from the wrong medium, restore uh, from a failed backup, right? There's all kinds of things that can go wrong, and the technicians don't know those things unless they touch it and do it and and are successful in every environment, with every client, with every different arrangement every month. And then when there's an emergency, they're not seeing something for the first time. And yeah. so, you know, with that philosophy, literally that's the philosophy of my entire business is the single most important thing we do is restore from backup. And uh, because of what it means in, in the bigger picture. And one time I had a coaching client who said, I can't, I can't meet today. We discovered that one of our backups failed after a client had an emergency and now we have to go test and verify all of our backups are working. And I, all I can think of is, oh, my God, <laughs> you right. run an IT business and you, don't, and you don't know if all your clients' backups are working. Like, this is a big deal. Yeah, that's on our monthly maintenance task for techs is they have to do a restore. And they don't have to restore the entirety of all the data. Oh, no. But they have to restore something, right? And pick a different person in the company to restore to, right? So we're pretty much all cloud. There's a few servers out there and we have one person who does the servers, um, but everybody has their cloud backups and it's like, just pick a person in the company. And, you know, this gives you the opportunity to talk to somebody they haven't talked to before and, you know, restore a piece of their data. And the way these restore works, you know, we store them to a different location. Right. So it creates a little folder and has the file in there. It's like, you know, make sure they see the folder, make sure they see the file, have them click on the file, open the file, right? So you know that that worked and then say, you know, thank you for helping us 
and they're happy, happy, happy to do it. Right. And it gives you that extra little touch point with a with a client, right? Not everything we do has to be invisible and behind the scenes. Well, especially since then they see, oh, I didn't realize that you guys did this and it's a good thing. And they feel comfortable that something can get done. It's funny, the one client I ever had who had the most faith in, in her backups uh, was one that I basically had to teach her because she had this, this rogue staff that they would, they're the reason that drag and drop should never have been invented. That they would say, oh, uh, I've, all my client files are missing. And so she, I had to teach her how to go, go find them and put them back where they belonged, you know. And every once in a while, somebody go, oh, I accidentally deleted, you know, a gig of data. It's like, wait a minute. It takes a while to delete a gig of data. Like, it's not like you go click and it's gone, right? So anyway, long story. Uh, I She would call on me on a regular basis and we would go fix stuff and she never wanted to spend money to train her staff to not be doing stupid stuff. Um, but, you know, whatever, that's okay. She paid me to, to fix it. So, <laughs> One of my techs found a solution for that. And um, it's a tech, tech solution. Pretty sure I blogged about it at third tier so that others can use it. Um, because we had one client too, and, you know, it's not something you need to do for every client, but we had one where they would regularly do what you just described drag and drop a folder into a folder and then panic because it was gone. And, you know, and we would search for it and find it. And finally it was like, man, is there a way to stop people from, from doing this? Like, I don't know what it is. They have like jittery mouse hand or something. And so, and so he found that in the registry, you can actually change the number of pixels movement that's required for windows to recognize that you, that you are dragging and dropping. Ah. And just adding a few pixels to that cleaned up the whole problem. That's like, interesting. Well, you know, a lot of people, they start to drag and drop and then <clears throat> the window underneath it changes, you know, the, the window refreshes. And so where yeah. they thought they were going to drop it, it wasn't where it actually got dropped. Again, I just think it's one of the things in technology that should never have been invented, but that's just my personal opinion. <laughs> I caught up with Eric Simmons, CEO of Asigra, and instead of five minutes with a really smart guy, here's 15 minutes with a really smart guy. This is Carl, and I am talking to Eric Simmons, who is the CEO of Asigra. Welcome, sir. Thank you very much. Great uh, to be here, Carl. So tell me a little bit about your background, where are you from, and, and how did you get here? <laughs> Okay, it's an interesting journey how I got here, but uh, <laughs> it but, always uh, is. Yeah, and with a lot of fun along the way. So um, I, uh, I'll start really early. I started my career and studied uh, social and cultural anthropology and economics. The apparently the perfect precursor for a job in technology and innovation. <laughs> who knew? Like. Cultural anthropology, like the, the, that's what ransomware is all about. <laughs> right. <laughs> it is. Yeah. Here's, the, here's the downside of trade and negotiation. <laughs> right, exactly. Started my career in uh, technology. So I started off at a value-added reseller working for uh, CompGen, actually, uh, Harry Zarek, and uh, did hardware, software, and then they spun off a professional services division. Uh, so worked in, in that aspect. And 
that's, I think, really what gave me the beginning to think about things more strategically. Uh, we were, you know, I was meeting with key business stakeholders and putting, uh, you know, complex uh, solutions, simplifying complex elements of their business by uh, effectively using technology, you know, to uh, streamline multiple processes. A Segra is uh, a company that a lot of people in the enterprise have known for many years, decades, but a lot of people in SMB haven't heard of it. So tell us a little bit about what, what the company is all about. Uh, so a Segra is a 37 year old company. It was started by our founder, David Farrigan uh, in 1986 and loved the way he started the company. He, uh, was coding one day, lost his code, went to his manager, said, how can I get my code back? They said, you can't. Went and asked a bunch of other people. They said, you can't. He went to look for a product. Uh, they said there wasn't one that existed. And he said, okay, well, that's what I'm gonna do next. <laughs> uh, <laughs> literally. So he started building out uh, a Segra, uh, you know, uh, and brilliant man and is always looking sort of five years ahead. Where's the industry going? Where's the industry trending? Um, and uh, it really pushed Asigra hard in the last, uh, you know, uh, three to five years to be very focused on the integration of cybersecurity uh, and backup and uh, recognizing that as uh, ransomware attacks change, as hackers change their strategy, to, to get to your data or get, uh, you know, to prevent you from using a clean backup to continue to run your business. New elements needed to be built into the backup software to uh, enable those protections. Uh, and, uh, you know, we built a number of those and have been lucky enough to uh, win a number of awards for the great work that we've done uh, in innovating in this space over the years. It's interesting. Uh, my position has always been the single most important thing we do in SMBIT is to restore backups. And I say that only because if you don't test, if you don't do a restore every month, you cannot say that you have a backup. Right. Because right? yeah. something happens somewhere in the middle, some little thing, somebody flips a switch, who knows? Stuff happens. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and so uh, how do we how do we make sure that we get a backup all the time? Because people love, people are lazy. They want to set it and forget it. Um, but if you forget it for too long, eventually something's going to change. Yeah, and I think there's, uh, you know, I think there's a mixture of using the model of set it and forget it. Uh, I think it's critical. I think it's also about making it easy uh, and making it apparent when there is an issue. A lot of the elements that we have built into our product over the years uh, have been designed to be automated. So again, you know, if we're doing uh, you know, a specialized scan on the content to make sure that there's uh, no viruses or anti-malware or, uh, you know, ransomware in that uh, repository before it goes into the backup. That's an automated process. It happens in line at the same time as you're doing your backup. Good. That means it happens every time, you know. <laughs> uh, same thing on the recovery, which is even more important. You know, this is going back into your production environment. So if there is something in there, you're essentially bringing ransomware back into your production environment. Right. We, we call that the attack loop, uh, but it means you don't have a clean recovery. And so because we do this on every recovery, you can make sure you have a, a clean uh, recovery uh, you know, of your data. Uh, and it is critical. Our, our uh, motto over the years has been recovery is everything. Uh, you know, it's one thing to back up, but really at the end of the day, you need to be able to recover it in the time when it's required. 
And you need to make sure that other people can't go into the software and use the software against itself to prevent you from getting that clean backup. And that's whether it's internal or external threats. Yeah, just making the backup work has become more difficult than it used to be. It used to be, it was there was a backup job and a tape and you were done and that was it. So you, so you scan to the backup and then you scan from the backup. Yes, correct. Because something new might've come up in the meantime, or you might find new fixes to old problems that you didn't know you had. Yes, yes, yes. Um, you know, there's sleeper attacks, Trojan horse attacks that are designed to get past anti-malware scans uh, that could still end up in your backup. But now your network is encrypted. Uh, you have ransomware. It's no longer a zero-day attack. It's now got heuristics and it's detectable. And so therefore we can remove that because we it's a known uh, issue, right? Uh, scan, which we added this past year, again, very innovative. It's a uh, large Enterprises are using this as an addition to their anti-malware scanning. Basically protects you against deeply embedded attacks. So if I have a zip file with a PowerPoint presentation with a PDF, and somewhere in that PDF there's uh, ransomware, most things aren't going to find it. It's going to get into your backup. And then when you go to do the recovery, again, it's going to just bring it right back in your environment. So what CDR does is it actually breaks each of those elements into their individual components and then it scans every single line that's, uh, that's in there, finds the malicious code, pulls it out, quarantines an original copy of the document for legal purposes, and then it reconstructs this document without that element. So, you know, I take the scenario of, you know, we've spent six weeks writing an RFP that cost the company $100,000. All of a sudden our, uh, you know, uh, RFP response gets a virus gets quarantined and we have no way of making the you know date in three days to recover. And so whether that's a Word document or a PDF or whatever, you can reconstruct the document. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So that's so it could be the, you know, the sales presentation the whole company uses. Again, you know, there's, there's certain documents you want to make sure are available, which is in many cases, there's you know quite a number of them. Uh, and so CDR really uh, enables that. And it is very high setting. It's a zero trust policy. It basically strips out anything that could be malicious and kind of and guarantees you that first recovery uh, to be clean. Very cool. So we want to get into more detail on that, sure. but uh, let me first give the website. So why don't you tell us the best place for partners to get connected to you? Yeah, uh, the website is www.asigra.com. And then uh, we also are going to do uh, a webinar, and I got to make sure the date is right, that it's uh, April 19th. And uh, we're going to do the, the webinar. April 19th is called, Does Your Backup Protect You Against the Latest Ransomware Threats? So, uh, and you're going to be the one on that. I will be the one on that, yes. Very good. Yeah. So would you, uh, I recommend folks go ahead and get to your site and uh, begin the process. I'm sure it's not very difficult to become a partner, but. <laughs> yeah. We've made it stuff. easy to become a partner. And, uh, you know, you'll also see on our website uh, that we've made the uh, technology announcement uh, of a new product that we're uh, launching later this year as well. So this uh, whole concept that you have a, a zero trust recovery, does that mean that I recover just enough to get me in business and then I go back and recover the rest of everything? Yeah, so what it would do is it would strip out uh, every macro, every link, uh, and any 
potentially malicious code out of all of those documents that might have it. So, you know, there could be a, uh, you know, a number of documents that get quarantined. And even if most of them are actually safe, you're not going to restore them the first round, but then you're going to go back and. Uh, no, no. So it, it, it'll scan through every single document. So if it, if it, I mean, there could be a, a positive macro. You you have an Excel spreadsheet and you're tying a couple of numbers together and you want it to automatically update. Right. You know? right. It will strip those out as well. Though. So there is some element of, uh, you know, uh, you know, overly protective is probably the best way of putting it. Um, but, you know, there's times where that's required. Uh, right. Right. You want to, you know, you get most of the business up and running without any issues. And, you know, you've got a couple other issues to deal with as opposed to trying to figure out, you know, how to get the organization back up and running and spending, you know, all kinds of money on fixing that and also on, uh, you know, uh, reputational risk. It seems like there's a massive amount of computing power needed to open up every document, you know, especially if you're going to remove the bad stuff and then put the document back together. And right, right, right. Uh, is this done on site or in the cloud or both? Uh, so it, it 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 would be done in our software, which is the uh, DS client, uh, and that is the software that essentially. So I guess what's unique about our architecture is that we don't, it's agentless, so we don't have a whole bunch of agents going out and uh, you know attaching themselves to everywhere and potentially slowing down the network. And as a result of that, we're able to build more complexity into our software, which then becomes a single choke point between, uh, you know, the live environment and the backup, uh, you know, everything that either goes out or in has to go through our software. And then it has the option of adding these additional settings where I want it to do this scan every time, I want to do this scan every time, or in this instance, I want to change it to, you know, my zero trust policy, because I just need to get my data back. You know, we've had a breach of some kind uh, and I need to get as much of the company up and running as possible. Very cool. And how long does it take for a partner to sort of get up to speed? Is it something where I could join it this afternoon and be selling it uh, next week? <laughs> yes, 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 yes. It's a, it's a, again, it's a, you know, it's been designed for MSPs from the ground up. Uh, we've, you know, we've sold into MSPs for the last 37 years. Um, and uh, we've made it easy to, you know, get set up to use the software to uh, do a recovery. You know, we have some very granular capabilities in terms of restore um, that make it particularly valuable. Uh, you know, if I want to recover, I don't know, you know maybe it's the uh, chief marketing officer lost their email or the CEO or, you know, the, uh, you know, somebody who's you know, going to be very unhappy if they don't get it back very quickly. Uh, and so there's the ability for us, you know, to go in and just grab that mailbox, let's say. Or that. Right. Yeah, we always worry about the, the biggie, which is, right. you know, the, the hacker who comes in and destroys the universe. Uh, but the most common restore is probably, oh, somebody clicked delete by accident or they mucked up a document and we need the one from last quarter. <laughs> right, 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 right. Exactly. Very cool. So I, I encourage folks to go to asegra.com and get started. And then um, is there a particular size of uh, MSP that you cater to? Like, do I need to have a hundred clients or a, a thousand? No, so, yeah, no. So our, our we've got MSPs that are very small to very large. Uh, you know, it really is, uh, you know, the 
software is designed in a way that, uh, you know, and the pricing model in a way that allows for uh, companies to be able to reach out and provide it to, you know, a whole group of small customers or, you know, any kind of mix. And uh, it can be cloud or, you know, uh, locally stored or, you know, hybrid. Uh, so it really just depends on what, uh, what the requirements are of the customer. But it, um, it uses the surprisingly less compute power than you would think. It's not, you know, you don't need a, a big honking machine and most people could run it on their laptop uh, today without any problem whatsoever. Yeah. Very nice. Yeah. Oh, all right. Well, we will see you on the webinar and we'll put a link to that so people can get uh, signed up for that as soon as possible. Thank you so much. Looking forward to it. Always good to see you. Thanks. Thank you for tuning into the SMB Community Podcast. If you found this useful, interesting, or fun, please subscribe, share with your friends, and give us a thumbs up on your favorite social media. Please check out the show notes at smbcommunitypodcast.com and give us your feedback.